Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today is Tracy Ellis Ross, the founder and CEO of Pattern Beauty. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you for having me. Hi, Priya. We're so excited, Tracy. I have to say, you know, I think I said this to Regan on um, the call right before here, just that, you know, we've been we've been dying to do something for you for two years. So COVID made it happen. We're finally here together, although remotely. COVID made it happen. Uh, it's one of the, there, there have been some silver linings and some special things that have occurred in COVID, even with all the craziness. And getting to do particular things that like couldn't fly, couldn't, you know, because of timing. So yeah, this is a a good plus. So Tracy, I mean, before we kind of get into pattern, I would love to know, like, what's your year been like? I mean, you've been juggling so much, you know, COVID, obviously, your brand, you know, your acting career. Tell us a little bit about that. Isn't it crazy that it's 2021 and it's sort of like, how has your 2021 been? It's like, where did 2020 go? Um... I think one of the things about the pandemic is it changed my relationship to time. I think so many of us. Um, I have stayed consistently busy through this very strange time, this backdrop and um, of the pandemic. Um, I've, you know, we shot Blackish. Um, we are now walking into our final season of Blackish, our eighth and final season. Um, I. I'm the CEO and founder of a company that has stayed very busy and that I am also very participatory. I am, I am the, the leader on that one. So it's been a very fruitful and wonderful time with a lot of newness to it. You know, I'm doing things in a different way than the tried and true that we've had. Um, and I've stayed busy, but also uh, more anchored to my humanity, I think, in a different way. I think the grind of pre-pandemic is hopefully um, not going to creep its way back into my life. I've, I stay very busy, but there's a sense of being able to hold on to some semblance of normal, not normalcy, of, of sort of my humanness in the midst of all of it. Tell me, Tracy, you know, when did you think that you ever wanted to be a beauty founder or a beauty CEO? I mean, was this something that you had on the horizon you know, it's so funny. I didn't even know the term. I didn't know what a CEO was like. And I remember, I don't know, maybe like six years ago, seven years ago, someone saying something about a C-suite. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I was like, is that like the presidential suite at a hotel? I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, I think my aspiration uh, around the hair care uh, just didn't have a term. I didn't have a term to know what it was that I was um, walking towards and wanting. Uh, but when I hear other founders and CEOs talk about their journey, my journey was very similar. Um, I didn't set out to create any company. You know, it wasn't like, I want to make companies. I'm an entrepreneur who just makes companies and I want to be a CEO. It was more, um, there is a genuine need that is not being met in the beauty community, in the world of beauty, and in the retail uh, beauty space that I know as a consumer, I long to fill. Um, I want that need met for myself, and there's a vast community of people who also um, deserves to be served and celebrated in this way. And so my journey in hair care really started with my own personal journey. And within that, the realization that there was a big void, 
Um, and it led me right here to Pattern Beauty <laughs> that's been on the shelves for like two years. Yeah, now. almost two years. September, right? Will be two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go back a little bit. I mean, I think people probably have a lot of misconceptions about how you got interested in beauty, how you got interested in hair. What do you remember from your childhood? So I have always loved beautiful things. Um, I am the child of an extraordinarily glamorous woman who, um, in hindsight, I can articulate that what I saw and was so intrigued by with my mother, um, who, for those that don't know, is Diana Ross, was that, you know, I saw this incredibly powerful um, and glamorous woman in a sparkly dress on a stage. But what I... And I would sit um, hidden in her dressing room on the floor, watching her transform herself into this woman that was going to be on stage. She didn't have makeup artists and hair people. She did it herself. And I would sort of watch her do this. And what I have now been able to articulate is that I was watching a woman utilize her agency and utilize beauty as a way to transform um, herself into all these different aspects of who she was that it wasn't um, about satisfying somebody else's um, desire of how she was seen, but actually um, an expression of her own identity, that it was um, sort of, uh, this is me versus look at me. So that was my first intro into what we call the beauty world and the culture of beauty. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, how that felt. Because I mean, as a child, I think everybody has they're watching their mom, they have their rituals, but it could also mm-hmm. be really intimidating as you kind of graduate a little bit when you become a teenager and you're kind of developing your own sense of style. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, I've always said, you know, I, I grew up in my mother's embrace. I grew up in her arms and her metaphorical arms and same thing in terms of her style and her beauty and what that offered me. It honestly, for me, it was an entrance into my own identity. It was one of the ways that I discovered who I was, what I loved, what made my heart sing, and what made me feel powerful um, and in charge of my own life and my um, my identity and my agency and how I, I navigate the world. And so when I did become a teenager, you know, as a child, I loved my hair. I had like a, you know, a big mane of hair that in all honesty, mirrored my mother's mane of hair and was just sort of, it, it um, connected me to the tribe of my family. Um, my cousins had lots of hair and I had so many childhood experiences of going to the beauty salon on Saturdays and um, being at my grandmother's and my cousin's house and my aunt doing my hair and lining up at my grandmother's um, a fancy special bathroom downstairs, all the cousins, boys and girls lined up outside as she would bring us into the guest bathroom downstairs and lay us on the sink, put our head in the sink, and then fill our hair with mayonnaise, which was her conditioner. Um, and we would deep condition our hair and walk around smelling like sandwiches for like a week. Um, but so all of those things were a part of my childhood. And then when I moved into my teen years, again, in hindsight, I can articulate it, but I looked around in the world and I didn't see what I had mirrored in my family. I saw a world that didn't reflect the natural texture of my hair, that said easy, breezy, beautiful hair was what was beautiful, that um, that bouncing and behaving was what you wanted from your hair. And my hair didn't do those things. So I started on this journey of sort of honestly attempting to beat my hair into submission 
to make it do what was apparently that standard of beauty that would make me acceptable, receivable, lovable by, you know, my peers and community and all of that. And, and everyone's like, yeah, but your mom had hair. I was like, yeah, but you know, at 14, you don't care what your mom's hair looks like. <laughs> You're like looking at who the music artists are, who's on television, who, you know, all these other places. So that started this um, sort of contentious relationship with my hair that led me into that deep dive of, okay, so how do I care for my hair? I love what you said right there, that you're beating your hair into submission, because I feel like so many things, especially hair in in the beauty context is such a loaded topic, right? You know, it's, you know, you have to change yourself, contort yourself to be, you know, society's ideal. But I'm wondering like when you kind of felt that that's not what you wanted and that's what made you start Pattern. So this loaded topic of beauty, I always remind people, yes, you can look at beauty as an aesthetic sort of um, surface oriented industry. But if you are um, a woman of color, a person of color, um, if you are in any way a colorful person that doesn't um, fit that particular status quo um, identity, um, your beauty actually ends up being a portal into your soul, your hair, um, and it becomes a political statement of sorts in how you choose to honor your authentic beauty and your authentic self. And um, my journey um, was hard earned and slow like everybody's. And that expression of beat your hair into submission, I am not the only one. There are just vast people, like so many people who have been in this position of whether it's relaxing their hair with chemical relaxers or texturizers or putting so much heat onto your hair that it's dry and damaged and all those kinds of things. And if you just look at that phrase, beat your hair into submission, you can see the connection of the political conversation that is actually there within the beauty industry. Um, for me personally, I just slowly started to have to nurse my hair back to health. I had moved to Europe and uh, went to high school, um, 10th, uh, 8th, 9th grades. I was in Paris and Switzerland. I didn't have access to my mom being able to do my hair in the morning and put a hot comb on the stove in the morning to roll my hair up at night, to go to the beauty salon on Saturdays. And so I started to have to function with my own hair. I was also an athlete. So I was sweating a lot. I was swimming for a minute and I was a track runner. I was a cross country runner. So there were, there were, um, elements that were at play that forced me to have to figure out how to deal with my hair, how it authentically grew out of my head. And in all of those years of nursing my hair back to health, I became my own best expert. Um, and I realized that there was not, not only were there not a lot of products, but there were not a lot of people who could support me in wearing my hair the way it naturally grew out of my head in its natural curl pattern. And so when I um, started Girlfriends, I had nursed my hair back into like its natural curl pattern. Like the, that is like virgin hair um, on Girlfriends. And then, um, and then I had to do it again, by the way, because I also, I damaged my hair somewhere midway through Girlfriends. Um, I started putting heat on my hair again and had to start my whole process again. But when Girlfriends finished, I had, over those eight years, 
been introduced to a vast community of people that were just like me, that had become their own best experts, who were also looking for products, who also wanted to wear their hair naturally, who were um, emulating what um, how I wore my hair on girlfriends. Um, and at that time, there were like, I could probably name the five actresses that I had seen through my life, like Radon Chong, Lisa Nicole Carson, um, Cree Summer, Lisa Bonet. Um, there were like, there's just like a handful um, that I was seeing that wore their hair naturally. And so um, the telltale moment was I went to buy products for myself somewhere towards the end of Girlfriends at beauty supply shops on Wilshire in Los Angeles. And those beauty supply shops usually have a salon in the back. And a um, salon expert came forward and he was like, oh my God, you have no idea the amount of people that bring in pictures of you at magazines and say, I want that, I want my hair like this. And he's like, the only way you're going to get it is if I sew it in. And I was like, but that's not true. I was like, it's, first of all, no one should want my hair. They should want their hair. Um, but you need the right products. People just need the right products. And he was like, well, if you make products, you'd be a millionaire. And I was like, huh. And that was the first thought I had. When Girlfriends finished, I wrote my first hair care brand pitch. And that from that moment until when I finally met my um, or found my operational partner's Beach House Group, it was a 10-year span. That's incredible to me. I can't believe it took that long because now it seems like these brands are popping up left and right, right? Anybody yes. can launch a beauty yes. brand. And I mean, with your gravitas, with your, you know, background, you would think, you know, it would have been much quicker. But I'm wondering for you, you know, I love when you said that the person at the beauty supply store said, oh, if you could make, you could make a million dollars if you, if you created that product. Did you ever think that like you could be a formulator, like kind of cooking up something in your kitchen that the masses could use? Not, well, no. And, and I never cooked up stuff in my kitchen. <laughs> you know, I was really good at um, cocktailing and mixing things and I knew which products were best and I had tried everything and I knew all the, you know, different things. But no, what I knew was um, it was a need that needed to be, uh, you know, an unmet need that needed to be uh, filled. And the 10 years seems long, but it isn't. So let me just give you a couple of like framing um, things. During Girlfriends, there was no social media. So there was no way to harness my own audience, my own um, consumer, any of those things. If you think now of a lot of the celebrity brands that are coming up, a lot of it is based in the data that they can hold from their social media accounts. So there's no social media. The term black girl magic didn't exist. And that's not to say that black girls weren't extraordinary, beautiful, powerful, um, worthy of celebration and um, magical um, at the time, but there was no term. And Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw often talks about the fact that without a frame, it's very difficult to hold facts that um, aren't don't have sort of a space that we can qualify or quantify them. So like I give the example all the time, like girlfriends, people said was the black sex in the city. And I'm like, first of all, girlfriends happened before sex in the city. And secondly, we aren't the black anything. We're the show girlfriends. But for a lot of people, it was their, their, that's what gave them the context to be able to understand what the show was. Because for people of color, often people are like, wait, I don't understand what it is. 
So during this journey, without the frame of like a term called Black Girl Magic, without social media, it was very hard for the beauty industry to understand the importance of this spending and buying power of this community um, to understand how a actress would translate into being a CEO or a founder and would have anything important to give. And why wouldn't I partner with a professional hair person? All of those kinds of things. And during that 10 years, I tried many different outlets and ways to do it. And there were a lot of disappointments, but every disappointment and every hard spot helped me to hone my vision specify and clarify the mission of the brand, which is to meet the the needs of the curly, coily, and tight textured community, and to really come up with what all of the promises of the brand were going to be. So it's been about two years now that you've been on the shelf. And I'm wondering, like, what has the reception been, you know, over this time? I mean, the line has grown considerably. It's growing as we speak. Um, What surprises you about it? I think what surprises me the most is I don't think I ever realized the amount that goes into making something work. That a good idea is not what makes a successful brand. The execution, the strategy, and the operational um, component is key. You can have a great idea, you can even have a great product, but if you can't get it from the factory (laughs) to the shelf, it doesn't make a difference. If you can't keep satisfying those orders, like all of those, if you can't keep growing, if you can't keep um, expanding the narrative and expanding the dialogue with your customer, it's not going to grow. So I don't think I realized how much um, and I'm, I have my hands in all of it. The language on the back of the packaging, copy editing, um, who we are partnering with in terms of creative, how to keep that narrative and the promise and the mission of the brand being um, filtered through every aspect of what we do. I think the thing that has happened is what I honestly knew was going to happen and what kept me committed for 10 years, that people were going to want the products, <laughs> like that, that there was a need to be filled. You know, um, and that's been the most exciting part of it. The feedback has been so extraordinary, um, both in the numbers of the sales, but also in just the things that people share is so exciting. You know, my daughter hated her curls and now she loves them. Well, that's what you read. I mean, on Ulta, you know, where you have partnered with these last two years, you're routinely called out in earnings, you know, to hear that from this major beauty retailer must be amazing. But at the same time, reading the reviews on your site and reading the reviews on social media must be equally gratifying. It's very gratifying. It's very um, validating, um, particularly to all the naysayers (laughs) that that during that 10 years were sort of not understanding the, um, the importance and the buying power of this community and the importance of this vast community seeing themselves celebrated that, you know, Pattern is a brand that is anchored around the celebration of Black beauty, that we are the subjects and not the objects of our content. And we get to see ourselves mirrored back in all of our beauty. And that, um, I think, has made a big difference. And I don't think people understood the importance of that, particularly in a world that has not mirrored back our beauty in that way. Do you think people get it now more? 
yeah, you can see it by how the all these different brands are popping up and people are now trying to jump. My favorite thing that, you know, shortly after um, we had um, launched and sold out and like so many things were happening, my favorite was I would see these press releases for other textured hair brands that were natural hair brands. And they were like, the founder or someone would be like, you know, a year ago we started realizing it. I was like, okay, <laughs> like you jumped on the bandwagon. I gotcha. <laughs> And realizing that, you know, this has been a life journey for me and um, a 10-year journey with a lot um, that was put in. Um, and it's, I'm glad to see, you know, my goal is is to change the industry, but not just so that it can be me, but so that there are choices, so that all of us have choices when we go to the store so that we can decide which products work best for us. I know Monica at Ulta, you know, has really said that, you know, pattern has spurred that whole department for them. And really, you know, whether it's in the back bar program or on the shelf or online, and now you've taken an advisory role at the company. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's about? Yeah, I am the diversity, equity, and inclusion advisor for Ulta Beauty. And the truth is it was a natural evolution of the relationship that I had with them from the start, both in the conversations I was having with them as I chose them as my first retail partner, um, and also um, that would come up on a regular basis as all of us were attempting to navigate these changes um, that the world, that we needed to implement in order for our world to be a safer and more equitable place for everybody. Um, and it's been really fun for me. I mean, the distinction, um, it's, a, it's a way that I love using my mind. The distinction that I have and that I always say to people is the advisory role means that the work is not for me to do. I'm there to advise. I'm there to share my community of experience, my um, uh, the people that I know that are experts in this field, and to advise and suggest and sort of be in dialogue with them um, on a regular basis to make sure that they are continuing to um, keep the attention on DEI. And one of the distinctions I talk about is that for a long time, it was diversity and inclusion. The D and I was sort of what everyone was talking about. And I think particularly through the uprising of 2020 after the murder of George Floyd um, and Breonna Taylor, there was so much talk again of how do we make all of these spaces of our lives safe and equitable. And um, people started to really understand that um, diversity and inclusion um, needs to be anti-racist. And I have found that the equity part of that, the E in between those two things is the key. That's where the fundamental change starts to occur. And so that's one of the places that I have really worked with Ulta in holding them accountable and creating um, measurable goals. Um, you can't change everything in one day, but you really can keep on a schedule of measurable goals. And so, yeah, and it's been really rewarding work. Do you think from the shopper's experience, from the consumer's experience, you know, they are finding a more equitable shopping experience in these retailers, whether it be at Ulta, online, you know, do you think that they are, they're finding that and they're in their journey? I, I can't speak for all consumers, um, but I can say that in the spaces where I have a voice at the table and where I am in dialogue with these uh, retail partners and different organizations, there is a real, um, there's a real attempt 
to make those kinds of changes that make a difference. And I think part of what I talk to people about is make sure you're in an ongoing dialogue. So you make a change and in order to measure it, you've got to check in with the consumer. You've got to check in with your employees and see, is there a difference in how you feel? Um, and if not, what are some of the things we can continue working on um, and continue doing? It's not rocket science, but it's a big blind spot. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's interesting now that we're not only seeing more, you know, curly coiled and textured hair brands, but more melanin skin brands, more, more and more foundation ranges, as if like this was the first time anyone ever said anything. But it's hilarious to me. At times I'm like, really? It's like, we've been here forever. This is not, this is not new. Like if you just think of my 10 years, right? You think of our parents and all that. So yeah, it's funny sometimes. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how the brand has grown because obviously like you're hearing from your customers in real time, what they want, what they're missing. So how has that been? Because I know that you've launched candles before, you've launched more styling products. Like where do you see the brand growing? Well, there's still so much more to do in hair. Uh, the dialogue with our community and with our customers is really exciting and fun. Um, the styling products really came out of that. The jumbets came out of the dialogue. Um, so the larger sizes came out of the dialogue with our customers of like which, which of the products they actually need bigger sizes of. So we just launched the Jumbets. They're a little smaller than the, con the conditioner Jumbos, but the Jumbets um, in the styling cream and the curl gel, which are two um, customer favorites. We already have the Jumbet and the leave-in conditioner. So that kind of dialogue is great, but there's so much more to do within the hair space. A lot of stuff that's in our pipeline, you know, it takes a long time to launch a product. Once you get the formula right, then you've got... Um, stability testing, et cetera. And so things really take time, but there's stuff in the pipeline that I'm very excited about. Um, and we are also growing in our distribution, which I think is the most exciting part of it, um, that it was one of my original goals and visions for the company that it be ac accessible to everybody. And so you want to get it in, in as many doors and in many places as possible, including globally. And so that is um, starting to unfold. So tell me about that. Well, obviously you have the Ulta Beauty in Target partnership that's coming out later this month. And then you also have Sephora on the horizon. So what is those experiences going to look like and feel like for the customer? So the beauty of the Ulta Shop and Shop is that we get to sort of hold our identity that we have established with Ulta, which is really where the narrative of the brand and, you know, in brick and mortar, the beauty of it is people get to touch and feel. You get to touch the beautiful packaging and you get to kind of try a product and see what it feels like. So we'll be in Ulta stores um, and it will, uh, the Ulta shop and shop will move into Target um, and it will start in a limited amount of doors and then it will start to expand and, and move um, to all of their retail spaces, the Target retail spaces. And then Sephora launch is incredibly exciting, both the online and um, in stores, which, you know, there's a very specific, um, elevated sort of aspirational quality to Sephora and what it offers. And, and being a part of that community was also an original goal. So that's exciting. And they're online. And then, of course, our patternbeauty.com is the main place and space that we launch everything. And with our um, Sephora partnership, we get to be, it's the beginning of our global uh, reach. And we start in Canada, which is so exciting. 
tell me a little bit about that operationally, because I, I know you said a second ago that, you know, you hadn't thought about, you know, making sure things were getting from the supply chain to the stores and all that. Now you're like tripling that. So this is one of the interesting tidbits that people don't know about the pattern story. Um, I found and had meetings with retail partners before I had an operational partner. So I met with Ulta um, before I knew Beach House Group, my operational partners. And that relationship had already been born and developed. And um, But one of the keys to having a successful business, as I mentioned before, is operations. And knowing how to do that in a buttoned-up fashion, um, because there are so many moving parts. Um, there can be a random raw ingredient that if you can't get it from here, ruins the entire supply chain. And really thinking ahead and how you project and make sense of all of these pieces is not easy. And so I have an incredible team. Um, I have an incredible team uh, led by Rachel Gilman and uh, a, an incredible table of, you know, Amy Elise Jackson, um, marketing, and then a Kubar product development person. And then all these people that kind of help make sure that that pipeline stays efficient and on time. Um, but it really does change the amount of product that we're making. And it's a lot. And it's good. And it's exciting. <laughs> and you recently added some new board members to the Pattern team as well, right? Will you tell us yes. a little bit about that? Yeah. So since I set out on this journey with Pattern, I've been really deliberate in my mission. It's to fulfill those unmet needs of the curly, coily, and tight texture community. And then I also have this 360 commitment um, in shifting the narrative away from black hair care being a niche segment. And we know that there's this $1.2 billion spending power of the black consumer. Um, and we have to reimagine corporate boards um, with an intentional focus on this DEI. And so I really wanted the vision of pattern to remain as not just in the products that we share for who they're for, but that what makes the company work and tick also represents um, the community that we're serving. And um, I have to say that uh, I had to learn what a board was. I had to learn what a, the characteristics of what I would want a board member to be are. And um, as I am continue to be committed to sort of uplifting the authenticity, authenticity in an active space and centered around the joy of Black beauty and creating equity and autonomy and success for women of color, um, bringing in these two board members to join me at the table has been really exciting. So um, Michelle E. Banks and Andrea Clack rogers Varnado are the two that join me. So there's five of us all together. And it's really important to me to have um, a board that reflects the customer um, and that really looks like the community that we serve. On that note, you know, there's been a lot of discussion around Black-owned versus Black-founded in the last year. And, you know, a lot of the heritage companies, if, if you can call them that, you know, not exactly like L'Oreal, as old as L'Oreal, but, you know, Carol's Daughter or Shea Moisture, those brands have all been acquired. How important is it to you for as long as you can to keep your business Black-owned? Well, um, I'm the majority owner of the company. Um, I think uh, Aurora has done a really extraordinary job of defining what Black-owned means. I don't offhand know it. I, I know it, but I don't, like, I couldn't re-articulate it to you. 
I think it's incredibly important. I think uh, I am learning in this area and trying to understand what it means to scale and grow a company and how I can be the most of service to my community and making sure that the equity, the money, the funds are continuing to funnel back to create more um, opportunity and equity for those that don't often get it and historically have not gotten it. Um, that's my that's my driving force, you know, to make the industry, um, industry in general, a safer, more equitable place and a place where that opportunity exists um, in an equal way. So I don't really know what I, I, in terms of sales and all those kinds of stuff, I'm, I'm in the process of learning. Right now we're focusing on expanding distribution. <laughs> on that note, Tracy, I mean, do you think that, I know you have some excited collaborations coming up. Yes! Um, which I want to talk about, obviously, with Mac um, on the makeup front. But do you have ambitions of your own to make Pattern Beauty move beyond hair? Um, there is a reason that I deliberately chose the name Pattern Beauty and not Pattern Hair, because I do think there's an opportunity for great expansion. Um within the ethos and the DNA of what we've established in this company. Um, so in within the ethos of the company, the juicy and joyful hair, I think, can translate itself into many different areas of beauty. Um, the celebration of Black beauty and anchored in authentic beauty, I think, can expand into a lot of areas in the beauty industry. But right now, as I said, there's so much more to do within the hair space um, that that's where I'm focused. So tell me about the MAC partnership. That's coming up for holiday, right? Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm wearing my Ruby Woo right I now. I was going to say, like, please ask. Me. I was going to say, are you, have you always been a MAC girl? Yeah, so here's what's crazy. The first lipstick that I discovered was MAC Ruby Woo, and it's still my favorite lipstick. And it is, you know, so often in the beauty industry, like you fall in love with something and then eventually the formula changes and like it's never the same again or it gets discontinued. I don't know what they've done at MAC, but Ruby Woo has only gotten better. Like it's evolved over time or it hasn't, but either way, it still works. And I think it works on everybody. It is the perfect blue, red, matte lipstick. And it's ideal. I work out in it. I wear it just, it's a staple. There's like hundreds of them around my house. They're like in purses. They're like everywhere. So I've always been a MAC Ruby Woo wearer. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like my signature. It's like the curls and the lip or the slick back bun and the lip. And so um, this partnership is like a dream. And we're going to combine the Holy Grail, the leave-in conditioner, and the MAC Ruby Woo and make just the Holy Grail holiday gift. And I'm excited. And it's going to be with Ulta and on your own sites, right? Yes, Ulta and PatternBeauty.com. Is this something that, you know, your customer was also like really asking for, like some sorts of collaborations and you to kind of bake in your favorite brands with Pattern? I think collabs have been like a big thing in the industry, particularly, you know, we've seen like H&M with designers and like all these different kinds of things. And, and they've always been fun. But there's something really beautiful about those synergies that have occurred um, in the last year. I've been noticing a lot of that. I think um, the combination of the pandemic and everything happening that um, people are being really creative. Like, I mean, the Balenciaga and Gucci combo, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like mind blown. <laughs> So for me, this was such a Tracy, like mind blown, like, like just, it's so me. Um, and I think it translates. I mean, I will tell you quickly that, 
Um, when I was on Girlfriends, uh, I did an event with Curly Nikki. And Curly Nikki was one of the first natural hair bloggers that existed. And we had this event and I pulled up and around the block were, it was the first, social media didn't exist. It was the first time I saw around the block were all these women um, who looked like me. Pencil skirts, wide belts, hair either out and curly or back in a slick back bun wearing Ruby Woo. And I was like, oh my God. So there are a lot of people that live in this red lip gang this red lip curly gang. So I look forward to sharing it um, in this way. Well, you have a lot coming up, Tracy. I mean, obviously with the brand, but, you know, and the products, but what are you most excited about, you know, for the rest of this year into 2022, where do you think that your, your star is going? Well, I'm really excited about walking into this final season of Blackish, knowing it's the final season and getting to do it with my eyes and my heart open. Um, I'm really excited about the products that we have launching. Um, there's some really fun stuff that's going to sort of emerge. And I'm also thrilled to the bits and to the pieces about the Sephora and Ulta Shop and Shop at Target expansion. The distribution expansion is very exciting to me because it allows more and more people to have, to have access to the products so that they can enter the juicy and joyful phase of their hair life. And um, so those are, those are uh, enough to keep me waking up in the morning with a lot of joy. Thank you so much, Tracy. It was so great having you. Thank you. What a treat. Lovely conversation. Thank you, Priya. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.